0: And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Well, I got an email from a listener recently. Tim in North Huntington Township uh, writes, uh, eager to know your thoughts about uh, WQED. Uh, He says he's lost his WQED TV signal. Um, What does this mean? Well, what it means is that he's been watching WQED TV uh, on an antenna and suddenly it went away. What exactly does that mean? How many people are still getting their TV signals over antennas? What does that mean for cable? Where does one buy an antenna? Why did uh, listener Tim from North Huntington Township uh, lose his uh, Channel 13 WQED signal uh, recently? These and other questions are what we're going to explore this morning with our guest, media consultant and broadcaster, Scott Feibush. He is the founder and editor of Northeast Radio Watch. Uh, He has been a broadcaster at stations in uh, Boston and Rochester, but I think also New York City. Am I correct, Scott?
1: Never New York City. Uh, no, Boston and Rochester and uh, some freelance work here and there. But I've never had the pleasure of living in New York. Always wanted to.
0: It is also the uh, founder of phi Bush Media. You can find him online at fybush.com. Uh, you can also just search for Northeast Radio Watch. We're going to talk a little bit about some of his other work and about some other issues uh, that are affecting consumers in both radio and TV. But first things first, good morning, Scott. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us.
1: Good morning. Always happy to be with you, if if virtually at that.
0: If virtually at that. So, uh, listener uh, Tim from uh, North Huntington Township, uh, I, I won't read his entire email because it's, it's quite lengthy, but um, he gets his TV uh, off of an antenna. Uh, do, do people realize that they can still get TV off of antenna? I thought everybody got their TV from cable or satellite.
1: Uh, the more and more people start looking at their cable or satellite bills and realizing how much they're spending... Uh the more often people are starting to realize that yeah in fact you can get your TV off an antenna and uh not only is it free but the picture quality often can be better than what you get over cable uh in some cases you get channels that you can't get over cable uh the trade off of course is that you need to have at least a, a modicum of technical savvy and if you live someplace with a lot of hills you have to be aware of all the effects that terrain can have on your ability to receive TV over the air. Now, now you and I are,
0: are, are both more or less the, the same age bracket. Um, a, a lot of our listeners uh, on the different stations that we're on are probably a little bit older and grew up with the rabbit ears on the back of the TV, the two uh, uh, antennas, and then and then maybe a little a bow-tie-shaped antenna on the back of the TV. And I can remember having to fiddle with that antenna to, to try to get a picture, and sometimes it would get snowy, and then sometimes it wouldn't. Um, and I, I, like I said, I thought... All of that went away you 're saying that the picture that everybody had cable and satellite you 're saying that the pictures are actually better now sometimes over over an antenna
1: they are uh, you know so what happened was there 's always been t v over the air, and even as some areas have gotten very heavily cabled uh it 's never been universal. I think probably the highest cable penetration. Uh, That most markets have had has been in the in the low 90 percent. I mean, there's always been some people getting TV over the air. And then, of course, what happened is that in the early 2000s, the FCC began the lengthy process of converting the American TV standard from analog as it had been going back to 1941 uh, and converting it to a new digital standard. Uh, And so for a few years in the early 2000s, most TV stations were actually operating two transmitters at once, uh, one putting out the traditional analog signal and then one putting out digital. And in the spring of 2009, and it's hard to believe this is 10 years ago already because it still kind of feels like yesterday, uh, the FCC uh, ordered stations to turn off their analog transmitters uh, and go all digital. Well, those digital signals... Uh, allows stations to do a bunch of things. They allow you, first of all, to put out a high-definition picture. So instead of the old 480 lines uh, of standard-definition TV, you can now have a a 1080-line picture with much more detail, with a wide screen, with surround sound. Uh, And this uh, digital signal also allows you, of course, to put out multiple channels of video and audio over a single transmitter. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, listener Tim, for instance, uh, viewer Tim, Uh, Can not only watch WQED 13.1, but can also watch 13.2 and 13.3 and can watch Rick Seebeck's specials all day long if that's what floats his boat.
0: Well Rick will be happy to hear that uh, Scott Fiebush is a media consultant uh, and uh, journalist and broadcaster uh, he's based out of Rochester, New York, but covers uh, the whole uh, northeast uh, part of the United States. actually, uh, you, you go all over the country and, and, and sometimes travel internationally working on uh, stories. You can find out more information about uh, the different things that Scott does at fibush dot com where you can subscribe to his uh, weekly broadcast uh, newsletter uh, Northeast Radio watch. Uh, you can also we're, we're going to ask you later on about the calendars you do. We actually have one here in our studio at the uh, Tube City Center Excellent. for uh, Business and Innovation. But um, uh, without getting too far into the, the technical stuff that, that, A, I don't have an entirely great grasp on, and, B, the listeners, vast majority of them, don't care. Analog versus digital, it, it, can we kind of explain a little bit? The analog kind of is, is is like a wave that goes up and down, whereas the digital is ones and zeros, ones and zeros, ones and zeros. It turns on and off. Is that I mean, that's way oversimplified.
1: Yeah, that's that's basically it. I mean, the way to think about it is that a traditional analog TV transmitter, like you said, put out one video and one audio stream, and that was it. And the, the pictures came in from the camera and the switcher, and they went to the transmitter, and they got converted back into a picture at your TV set. Uh, with digital, uh, basically what it's doing is putting out a one-way stream of bits. And you can do lots of different things with those bits, and you can encode them in different ways. But basically, those bits now uh, are encoding, in some cases, four or five different streams of, of audio and video uh, all of which your TV can decode and display, assuming that you are getting the signal in well enough. Now,
0: now when when I was, when I was a, a, a kid and, and living here in the mountains of, of western Pennsylvania, you know how mountainous the territory in the Pittsburgh area is. You used to be able sometimes, with, with what we used to call the rabbit ears on the back of the TV, pick up TV stations in in Johnstown or Wheeling or Steubenville, uh, the, the next markets over in Ohio and, and West Virginia, but have trouble picking up TV signals right here in Pittsburgh. Um, now, you said 10 years ago the, the TV over-the-air broadcasts of TV uh, stations, the, the local stations, your KDKA, WTAE, WPXI, there's a whole bunch of them in Pittsburgh, um, went digital and turned off those old analog signals. And what I noticed is I can now get the local stations, but I'm not getting anything from Steubenville, Wheeling, morgantown johnstown it, it was what was the trade-off there that we got clearer pictures on the local stations but i don't get the far away stations anymore
1: that is generally true of course it depends where you are i was down that way uh this past spring and was staying with uh, some friends in bridgeville way up on top of a hill there and you know being there being southwest of pittsburgh and not all that far from wheeling i set up my little antenna there And I had no trouble at all seeing Wheeling and Steubenville uh, and even, I think, uh, West Virginia PBS out of Morgantown, too, in addition to all the Pittsburgh stations. But, yeah, it's very dependent uh, upon where you are. It's very dependent on what kind of antenna you use. Um, If you want to go to the trouble of putting up an outdoor antenna, and, yes, you can still get an outdoor antenna to put on your roof. There are still places that will sell them and that will even come set them up for you. Uh, Again, depending on where you are, especially if you live at a higher elevation Uh, you may very well still be able to pick up Johnstown or or Morgantown or Steubenville or Wheeling.
0: Let's go back to our uh, listener's question, which is, why did he lose Channel 13? He doesn't care about Johnstown. And actually, in in his email, he mentions that he's getting Cleveland, Steubenville, and Johnstown on this new antenna he bought, but he's still having trouble getting... Channel Thirteen WQED. Why? What's what's what, what was the issue with Channel Thirteen? Because I went on their Facebook page and I see a lot of people who who use an antenna to get that signal,
1: complaining about what what happened. Indeed. So here is the next phase in what happened with digital TV. So in 2009, uh, the FCC put an end to analog TV and turned off those transmitters. Uh, what happened after that uh, is that, of course, there has been this monumental growth. Uh, in the use of wireless communication since then. Everybody now has a high-speed data connection right there on the device and in your pocket. And the carriers that provide that service uh, are looking for more spectrum so that they can continue to uh, increase the amount of, of bandwidth they can offer customers, especially with this new system called 5G that's on the way. And so they were looking at broadcast television and saying, wow, especially with all those analog transmitters turned off, There are all these kind of Swiss cheese holes in the TV spectrum uh, that could conceivably be filled if all of the digital TV channels that are left kind of moved in closer to each other at one end and freed up the other end. And oh, by the way, the wireless carriers were willing to pay literally billions of dollars to the U.S. government at auction
0: uh, for that spectrum. I, I'm, I'm so shocked, so, shocked to find out that money is involved in this.
1: So I know, especially with wireless carriers.
0: What, are so told, what you're right? what you're calling Swiss cheese is um, in in the days of analog television. You know, in Pittsburgh, for instance, you had two, and then there was nothing on three, and then you had four, and then you had nothing on this channels in between four and eleven, and then you had thirteen, and then you had nothing on fourteen, and then you had to go to the to the UHF band, and you had sixteen and twenty two and fifty three. So the Swiss cheese, the holes are the ones between the channels that aren't occupied in, in your city. Is, is that more or less what you're, what I'm saying?
1: That is correct with one very interesting little twist, because okay. the other thing that happened when, when TV went digital uh, is that the, the FCC kind of severed the link between the channel number your TV displays and the actual frequency on which the TV station is broadcasting. And so, for instance... Uh, if you are watching, let's say, WPXI, your TV tells you that you're seeing channel 11 Correct. or 11.1 now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, In actuality, the, the frequency on which WPXI is now broadcasting is not that VHF channel 11. Uh, it's actually a UHF channel. It's actually right now on UHF channel 48, uh, <laughs> but it's about to move. And the idea behind all this is that you, as an average viewer, don't need to know any of that. You hook up a decent antenna to your TV, you tell it to scan the channels, it figures out where everything is... And it still displays the channel numbers that you've known ever since the day that WDTV moved from three to two way back when.
0: <laughs> let's pause right there and let's uh, ask everybody to stay where they are and not move around. Before, before we lose people in, in Swiss cheese and in acronyms, uh, we have to take a 30-second break. Scott Feibusch is our guest. Scott, when we come back, I want to ask you about some other issues in media, including uh, the issue of possibly more radio and TV mergers that the uh, FCC is considering. Okay? You got it. We'll be right back. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Welcome back. Our guest this morning is Scott Feibusch. He is a uh, broadcaster and uh, journalist and media consultant. You can find him online at Feibusch.com, or you can subscribe to his newsletter, Northeast Radio Watch. We're talking about some issues that are affecting consumers in radio and TV. This was prompted by a, a question from one of our listeners, Tim, in North Huntington Township, who wanted to know why his Channel 13 signal. He's been getting TV over the air, and as Scott has been telling us uh, this morning, um, not everybody is on cable. Not everyone is on on satellite dishes. Scott, um, you said that the, 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 the switch back to, uh, for, for some people anyways, to go back to getting TV over an antenna is prompted by the cost of the cable bills that they're paying to to Comcast or Verizon or whoever their provider is. Is, Do you have any numbers, or do you know if there's been any studies as to what percentage of people have, I think, that is the phrase
1: cord cutting, have cut the cord? It is, and it is definitely growing. It depends a lot on the market. There are some markets, like Dallas, for instance, where over-the-air reception has always been really good. It's big, it's flat, there are no terrain obstacles I don't think cable penetration there ever got much above 70 percent and has been declining, but there is there is definitely uh, a, a downturn right now uh, in the traditional cable business. There's a whole generation growing up now that has no sense of linear cable. They're accustomed to streaming everything they want, sure. to getting it on demand. Uh, and so the whole idea that there are TV shows that are on specifically at 8 o'clock on Thursday night is already alien to them. Why are they going to pay $130 a month to get something fed to them that they're never going to use?
0: Uh, well, that certainly explains why. I mean, you could always buy a TV antenna, but, you know, for a long time they were kind of confined to some place like Radio Shack, which has gone away. And something that I've noticed is that you are now seeing TV antennas showing up in discount stores like uh, – Ollie's and Big Lots and and Target and stuff like that, mass market uh, places, which, again, told me that at Home Depot, I've, I saw a big – they've got a display of them there now uh, that, that people are going back to the, the the TV antennas, but they're not the ones of our youth. I, I was talking about the rabbit ears and the bow ties and, and even the outdoor antennas were those big, long uh, things with all the wires coming out of them. They don't look like that anymore.
1: No, but here's, here's where I want to actually answer Tim's question for him yes. before we completely lose the thread yes, on that. Yes, thank you. Because this is what the answer to it is. And actually, ironically, those old TV antennas of our youth – Uh, are the antennas that somebody like Tim needs right now to be able to still pick up WQED, because here's what happened. Uh, As part of uh, the FCC clearing out this space and packing the remaining TV stations closer together on the lower end of the dial, some TV stations were able to actually take a buyout with some of this spectrum auction money, which mostly came from T-Mobile, to change to a lower broadcast frequency than they had been on. And so WQED was interesting because not only were they showing up as Channel 13 on your TV, they were still transmitting on actual VHF Channel 13. Okay. And the wavelength for VHF Channel 13 uh, is approximately two meters long. That's actually the, the length of the of the broadcast actual wave. wavelength that okay. they're putting out. And so you need an antenna that is a few feet long to be able to receive that. Those were those old rabbit ears. Okay. On top of your TV. But they actually took even more money from the FCC to go to a much lower channel, and they are now transmitting uh, on channel 4. Now, the wavelength of channel 4 is something like 6 meters long. It's what's called low-band VHF. Those are the things that used to take those big antennas on your roof to be able to get clear signals from channel 2 and 4, and if you were lucky, maybe 6 from from Johnstown. So as the
0: frequency goes uh, down, the the wavelength goes up, which is sort of high school physics, but— Just to remind people, okay.
1: We won't won't get too deep into physics here, but the the gist of the matter is that to now be able to receive the channel 4 frequency on which WQED is transmitting, even though it still shows up as channel 13, you need an antenna that can actually receive those low frequencies and all of those little flat panel antennas and... The little things you stick on top of your TV, those aren't very good on those low frequencies, uh, and that, <laughs> listener Tim, is why you're having trouble with WQED right now.
0: So, so, so what can he do? He says he's, he's emailed the station and he's, he's gotten you know, kind of apologies, but they said there's not too much they can do about it. W- what can he do or what can a consumer do if they cut the cord and they no longer have cable or satellite and now they're trying to get the over-the-air TV signals? Um, what, what kind of steps can the consumer
1: take? The biggest step you can take is to get a bigger antenna in a better place. And believe it or not, if you can still find one of those old-fashioned rabbit ear antennas, that's actually what you want. Uh, you want to extend it. You know, In the case of WQED, you want to extend it as long as you can. You want to get it up on the highest floor of your house where you can possibly put it, especially if you live in a valley. If you can put something outdoors, you want to look for an outdoor antenna that says that it can receive low-band VHF. Um and you want to get that outside. You want to aim it in, in the case of WQED, you want to aim it towards Oakland where the transmitter is. Uh in the case of just about everybody else, they're they're up in the North Hills. Um and in some cases you may just wanna sit back and wait because not to get even deeper into all of this mess. But the standard by which broadcast TV is transmitted is going to change again in the next few years. Uh, and the hope is that the new standard will work a lot better on VHF channels than the current one does.
0: So are you going to lose – I mean, is your existing TV going to be obsolete just like your old analog TV more or less became obsolete 10 years ago?
1: Remember when you went out and you got that coupon and you bought the converter box to make your really? analog TV still work with digital?
0: Again, we're going to have to do that.
1: Well, there won't be a coupon this time, but there will probably be adapters that are available, and it will look no different from, like, the little Roku or, or, or uh, Fire TV dongle that you might plug into your TV. You, you get one of these things and plug the antenna into it, and you'll be able to get the new standard. But it's still—this is still a few years off. Uh, Tim Tim doesn't need to worry about this quite yet. Uh, you know, the biggest thing right now is get a better antenna in there uh, that will have a better shot of picking up— this very long wavelength signal this by the way is is why the mobile companies wanted the very high uhf channels is they need little tiny antennas the shortest wavelength signals and that's where it's easiest to make an antenna that's small enough to fit inside the phone in your pocket.
0: Uh, oh, so it all comes back to uh, wanting to cram more more wireless devices, more Wi-Fi devices, more um, power into your cell phones. Let me ask you this question before we take our second break: um, When are when are consumers going to then see the benefits of these new devices? You mentioned 5G, which some of the wireless carriers are already talking about. I think Verizon is running commercials about their their 5G network that they're building. When are we? Going to see the the benefit of faster phones or, or or more wireless devices from all this TV confusion.
1: The wireless companies are pushing hard to make this happen already, and they are already starting to light up uh, the the wireless sites that will carry this stuff. Uh, the phones are starting to be in stores, but you have to be careful. There are some carriers looking at you, uh, AT and T, uh, that have kind of gotten slapped back for just making their phones say that they're five G on the screen. Uh, even though they're actually just getting good old-fashioned 4G signals. So, as as always, caveat emptor.
0: A caveat emptor, always a, a good plan. Uh, we're talking with Scott Feibusch. He is a broadcaster, a journalist. He covers uh, media and technology. Uh, you can find him at his website, feibusch.com. You can subscribe to his newsletter, Northeast Radio Watch. You can also see uh, his stories in various uh, trade publications aimed at the broadcasting and engineering communities. Stay tuned. We'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. At gmail.com. Welcome back. We are with, for a final few minutes, uh, Scott Fybush. He is a, a broadcaster and media journalist, uh, uh, operator of Fybush Media, which provides a, a variety of different things, including uh, coverage of the radio and TV industries throughout the United States, but particularly focusing on the northeastern United States. Scott, you have a podcast, is that correct?
1: I do. I hear everybody has them these
0: days. Uh, given uh, them to everyone.
1: It's called Top of the Tower, and it covers a lot of these same topics we're talking about. Right now, sometimes from a little more of an industry uh, insider point of view, but uh, interviews with interesting broadcast people and, and chats about technology. And that, too, uh, is at fibush.com or at your favorite podcast vendor.
0: Wherever podcasts are sold. So so it's a little bit more for the, for the inside either engineering or technology or radio TV junkie. It's a little bit more uh, insider focused.
1: Yeah, but all geeks are welcome.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, uh, Scott, I, I alluded to this earlier in the half hour, but um, th- this is a whole different topic, but but very much, I think, in your wheelhouse. That is that th- there is a move afoot. Uh, about 20 years ago, um, the number of radio and TV stations that any one company could own in a particular town uh, changed from... You, you, they used to be able to own one AM station, one FM station, one TV station. Well, that changed about 20 years ago. There There is a move afoot, I understand, at the FCC to change that again. What's going on with the media ownership rules?
1: There is some discussion of that. Right now, the most uh, that one company can own in any given market is eight stations uh, and generally no more than five on any given band. So you can't own more than five FM stations in Pittsburgh, no matter how much money you want to throw at the problem. Uh, And yes, there are some owners now who are pushing to say, you know what? There is no scarcity anymore of voices in the media. Anybody can get on there and be heard. And so let us own seven or eight or nine stations in town because it's still not going to shut other people out uh, from having the chance to, to be heard in today's media environment. Uh, and so there is discussion of that. Interestingly, there's some pushback, uh, believe it or not, from the established large owners. Uh, and again, companies uh, like iHeart and Entercom Uh, That have kind of already maxed out and and probably aren't really interested in buying that much more and are are perfectly happy with the status quo and and would like to keep it that way. So I don't know that this is going to be a slam dunk, but there is definitely some discussion of this going on at the the FCC. Of course, it took them you know, it took them 40 years to get rid of a completely obsolete rule that said you can no longer own a radio station and a newspaper in the same town. So <laughs> this this could take that long too, by which point it'll matter just as much as the newspaper rule did.
0: Well, well, maybe or maybe not. What benefit for for, for a company, and you said that, that some of the large companies like iHeart, which is, is very active here in the Pittsburgh market, Cumulus is another uh, company that owns a lot of radio stations in the Pittsburgh market. Neither are the ones that we're on. Um, but what what, uh, what benefit is there to consumers for these companies to own more radio or TV stations?
1: Well, the argument has always kind of been going back to every time that this, that this limit was raised, uh, that you're going to end up with more diversity uh, in formats. Because if a company is able to own eight stations, they're not going to have them all playing the Eagles or all playing uh, the latest country song. I think the reality has kind of shown otherwise, that it's the nature of big commercial radio Uh, to always go for the most mass appeal format, even if it's just, you know, tiny different uh, little versions of those same mass appeal formats. And so I don't know necessarily that there's going to be any huge increase for the consumer. Uh, On the other hand, given the state of most commercial radio today, I'm not sure it's going to get much worse either. Well, I I was just going to say,
0: it it sounds like the benefit then is is to the the big companies or more more to the point, it's to the medium-sized companies that want to be big companies who, if they want to start buying up stations, then they can consolidate their costs so they can have fewer employees and fewer overhead expenses and uh, sell commercials. Over more different radio stations.
1: Yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is, it's not really much of a business anymore for the little guy, at least not in larger markets. Uh, You know, it's very, very difficult if you are a small owner, even if you've got three or four stations in one town. You know, the reality of it is, you're still not really at a scale where you can compete against a company like an Entercom or a Cumulus or an iHeart uh, that can sell nationally over a platform of thousands of stations around the country. Uh, and so that's why these stations typically are going after completely different listener bases, uh, much more niche programming. And I don't think that's going to shift. I, interestingly enough, some of the argument uh, for increasing these limits is coming from companies that do provide some of this niche programming, especially foreign languages in big markets. Okay, uh, They'd actually like to be able to own multiple AM stations now that the prices of those have gone down uh, and be able to lease even more time out on those stations to, to smaller ethnic and community groups. Uh, that might not be able to afford a station of their own, but can buy a few hours here and there to put some programming on
0: so the, so and we're we're coming close to the end of the uh, of the show, and I appreciate you taking some time to to explain some of these issues to us where can people obviously your newsletter is one place, but where can people go to to educate themselves and to get actually impartial uh, information because it seems to me you've got the broadcasting industry on the one side that would have one position you've got you know sort of the media activists mostly on the left wing but some on the right wing who would have an opposite argument. Where can people go to kind of get some impartial information on this stuff?
1: It's tough out there. Uh, Columbia Journalism Review is still out there and still doing some really good work on this. For day-to-day coverage of the industry on a national basis, my colleague Lance Venta has RadioInsight.com, which does a fantastic job of kind of tracking the minutia of the radio industry uh, from day-to-day. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, there there are Facebook groups out there that are full of discussion. There are uh, still some message boards out there. You kind of just have to Create the, the the landscape for yourself and survey a lot of sources and find the truth somewhere in there. It's almost almost like doing journalism.
0: I was just going to say, in, in the last minute or so, I'm going to ask you a really big question that, that you're going to have a hard time answering, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. You, you mentioned the, the, the that the argument for more media consolidation is that there's this diversity of voices. You mentioned, for instance, um Everyone has a podcast, as you have your Top of the Tower podcast, and as this talk show is available for people as as a podcast. Um, how many people are still listening to regular over-the-air AM, FM radio? Does that still have – you mentioned that you know the, the idea of sitting down to watch TV at a certain time, 8 o'clock on Thursday nights, ha- has gone by the wayside, especially for people under 40. Are are people still tuning on their AM and FM radio?
1: If they're over 35 or 40, yes, absolutely. If they're younger than that, that's the fight radio is going to have because generationally uh, it's going in a different direction. I look at my kids and they're getting their music from YouTube and Spotify now. uh, And for radio to find something to say to them in that same kind of linear way that TV has uh, has tried to do – that's going to be a huge challenge. The other huge challenge will be retaining space in the dashboard of the car because they're competing with other places in that one place where radio has still kind of held firm. And so that, too— uh, is one of the big stories that I'm following as radio tries to figure out how best to do that.
0: Fibush.com is where you can get the top of the Tower podcast, where you can subscribe to the Northeast Radio Watch newsletter and uh, get your Tower site calendar uh, broadcaster and media consultant. Scott Fibush has been our guest this morning. Scott, thank you so much for taking some time with us to uh, explain some of these issues for people. Hopefully we've shed some light on it.
1: Pleasure to be with you.
0: And thank you all for listening today from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown Sport. This is Two Rivers, 30 Minutes. So long for now Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter
1: at Tube City Online.